This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Welcome to our family, Church of the Resurrection, joining us from your homes. We can't wait to see you. Our leaders are in here getting this space ready for you, and we are anxious to have you with us. Also, welcome to friends from around the diocese joining us this morning, as well as friends we don't know yet who are joining us on our live stream. My name is Father Steve, and I'm one of the priests here at Resurrection. All right, you all, I invite you to get your Bibles out or get one from the pew rack below or one off your bookshelf if you're at home, and you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. And this morning, we're continuing our summer series titled, God Wants Us Back, Images of Hope from the Prophet Jeremiah. And I pray that this morning's message will be just that for you. I pray it'll be a message of hope. Um, It's a message that the Lord's been speaking to me and teaching me afresh over the last few months. And it's simply this, God is pursuing you. Whether you feel close to the Lord right now or not, whether you feel like you've been moving towards him or away from him, the Lord is persistently pursuing you. He is in his very nature a relational God. You might, you might say that he can't help himself. The entire Bible, in fact, tells the story of God persistently pursuing us. And each time we, his children, walk further away from him, the Lord goes further still to pursue us and to call us back to himself. And honestly, I I think that's a reminder that we all need right now because amidst the process over the last few months of completely rearranging the way you do daily life and you, you finally figure out the new routine just in time for the world to change again so you can start the process all over again. And, and also amidst the really hard questions that we're asking as a nation right now, questions that can stir up pain and grief, it can stir up shame, it can stir up anxiety. Amidst all of this, we can find ourselves losing our sense of connection with the Lord. And yet still, God is pursuing you. So this morning, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 10 and let's let the prophet Jeremiah remind us of who the Lord is and the lengths to which he'll go to pursue us. So as we read these first few verses together, I just wanna pose a simple question to you. Who is speaking? Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. So these first five verses are a direct message the Lord speaks to the house of Israel. He's coming to them with an all-out plea to turn back from the road that they've gone down. And, and this is actually quite amazing when we consider that the, the way that the people of Israel over the past few generations had utterly rejected the Lord. This was an age of crisis. Judah, the one small nation that was all that remained of God's people, was quickly losing her independence and was being slowly subsumed into the much larger Babylonian empire. And this brought into Judah the customs and the practices of the various surrounding pagan nations. 
And amidst all the social and political pressure that they encountered, the Israelites had almost completely disregarded the Lord and his law. And instead they had conformed to the practices of the surrounding culture, the way of the nations. So moments of of national crisis, they're moments of vulnerability for God's people because we're looking for somewhere to place our hope and the world offers many false solutions, many idols. And here God's people were embracing those idols. But the Lord knows his people are vulnerable. And even though they have rejected him, he comes to them. He sends Jeremiah to them. And in this passage, it's like Jeremiah is saying, okay, what are these idols of the nations really? And what can they really do? And who is the Lord? And what can he really do? Let's, let's put them side by side and let's see who comes out on top. So if I had to give a summary statement for the Lord's and for Jeremiah's assessment of the idols of the nations, it would be this. The idols of the nations have no real power. However, they deceive us and they can pull us away from the Lord. So they have no real power. Look at verse five. It talks about how they can't actually do anything like walk or speak. They can't protect us. They can't even protect themselves. And verse 11 reminds us that they will ultimately perish. And then look at, look at verse three. The customs of the peoples are vanity. That word could be translated as a vapor or a mist. Whatever an idol promises, you reach out to take hold of it and poof, it's gone. Our idols, they elude us. We can never attain them. So some of you probably know of the comedian and actor, Jim Carrey, who's made a lot of money in his career for his role in the cult classic, Dumb and Dumber. He made $10 million. According to celebritynetworth.com, that's a real website, uh, Jim Carrey has a net worth of $180 million. So if there was a number that you could attach to finding fulfillment in financial wealth, I would guess at this point he's reached it. But here's what Carrie says, who sadly has battled regularly throughout his life with depression. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can, so that they can see that it is not the answer. The customs of the people are a vanity. They're a vapor, a mist. They leave us unfulfilled because they have no power. But even though they have no power, they are still dangerous because they can deceive us. And in that deception, they can pull us away from the Lord. So there's several descriptors in this passage of the internal effects our idols have on our hearts. Various verses talk about the pursuit of idols causing dismay, causing fear, causing shame and delusion. 
Then there's perhaps the most comical and vivid description of the internal effects our idols have on us in verse five. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. So this is such a great illustration of the internal effects idols can have on us. They change from the source of our hope to the source of our worry. They become like scarecrows in a cucumber field, eliciting a fear that isn't actually based in reality. So I was gonna try to draw out this image for you to describe, it's, it's so colorful. And then I just, I remembered that there's this little clip from the movie, Charlotte's Web, that basically is this exact scenario. So we're gonna, we're gonna watch this clip, it's very short, and I want you to do a little imaginative exercise. I want you to imagine that you are one of the crows. Let's watch. How can he be in every cornfield? It can't be the same guy. It can't be. He's wearing the same hat. I'm telling you, he is following us. I hate that guy. <laughs> I have got to get some guard, Owen. All right, all right, all right. This is crazy. There's two of us, right? Yeah. Oh. Trust me, there's two of us. And there's only one of him. I, I don't know, man. He scares me. He really does. Just think about that corn. Yeah. Corn. The corn. Corn. All right, let's, let's do it! it! Let's do it! Ah! 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 Aboard! 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 Man, he is good! I bet he's laughing at us. Don't look at him! Don't even give him the satisfaction. So I, I won't ask you to tell me in your imaginative exercise who you imagine as the other crow next to you on the pole. But imagine that field of corn or, or cucumbers or asparagus or, or whatever your preferred vegetable is. Imagine it as God's great bounty. It's everything he's providing. It's everything you really need. And you, you're that crow and you're perched up on that pole but you're paralyzed in fear. You can't access that endless supply of food because you can't get your eyes off of the lifeless scarecrow. Our idols often become the source of our greatest fear and worry. Have you ever struggled with the idol of affirmation or impressiveness? I mean, I don't think I necessarily ever struggle with that, but I know a guy and he's told me a bit about what it's like. Um, no, with, with this idol, fulfillment comes from people thinking you're always capable. You're always on top of it. But of course, that illusion, it can't last. And soon it turns into an obsession with questions like, what do people actually think of me? Do they think I know what I'm talking about? Did I, did I say something stupid in that conversation? This idol is like a scarecrow. It has no power to fulfill our deep desire for acceptance. It can only deceive us into trying to constantly please or impress other people. And it can cause our hearts to lose a sense of the Lord, of his acceptance of us, of his presence 
with us because we're overcome with anxiety or fear or shame. Ignatius of Loyola, a 16th century priest, said this, it is characteristic of the evil spirit to harass with anxiety, to afflict with sadness, to raise obstacles backed by fallacious reasonings that disturb the soul. Our idols have no real power, but only the false power to deceive us and draw our hearts away from the Lord. But thanks be to God, alongside this scathing critique of the idols of the nation stands Jeremiah's awe-inspiring picture of who the Lord is. So if our idols have no real power, but only deceive us and pull us away from the Lord, then the Lord is all powerful and he pursues us in order to draw us to himself. This passage is full of praise for who the Lord is. So let's just look at a few quick examples. Verses six and seven. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. The Lord is unique. There is none like him. He is the only wise one. Look all the way down at the end of this passage, verse 16. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. I love that word. The Lord is our portion. He's everything we need. But look at verse 10. I think this is perhaps my favorite verse of the entire passage. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. So listen to that trifold affirmation Jeremiah has of the Lord. He is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting King. He's the true God. Unlike our idols, the Lord is the creator God, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things seen and unseen, the one with actual power and authority over creation. And at his wrath, the earth quakes. He is the true God. He is the living God from before time began, not made by human hands. He is the one who gives life by the breath of his spirit. He is the one who came down from heaven and lived among us. He is the living God who gave his life for us. Yet even death could not take that life, life away and he was raised from the dead. He is the living God. And as Jeremiah prophesies, he is the everlasting King. He is Jesus. He is our savior risen ascended and reigning on high with a kingdom that never ends. Put your idols up against that, says Jeremiah. The Lord is the true God, the living God, the everlasting King. So 
Perhaps that right there, maybe that's the ideal measure for discerning any idols in our lives. Let's call it the Jeremiah 10.10 test. I think it has a ring to it. For if the Lord is true and living and everlasting, our idols are the exact opposite. They are false. They have no life and they will ultimately perish. So when there's anything that is taking hold of your heart, that is exercising influence over you, just apply the Jeremiah 10.10 test. Is it true? Is it living? Is it lasting? Is it true? Or is it full of false promises? Is it living? Is it life-giving? Or is it actually life-draining? Is it lasting? Will whatever it is that I'm pursuing find its way into God's eternal kingdom or will it ultimately perish? If whatever we're pursuing isn't true, isn't living, isn't everlasting, then it isn't from the Lord. It's an idol. So one of our family's absolute favorite children's Bibles was the Jesus Storybook Bible. And we read it to our kids all the time because it so beautifully tells the story of God's pursuit of us. And my favorite line, which if your family has read it anywhere as much as our family has, you probably could say it along with me as I say it. It's this, the Lord loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's who's pursuing you. The true and living God, the everlasting King. And no matter what idols you have pursued, he is pursuing your heart with his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So if that's the God who's pursuing us, how do we respond? So, as we travel through Jeremiah, I think you'll see that Jeremiah loves agricultural images. So I'll give you one this morning. We respond to the Lord as we tend the garden of our heart. If God is pursuing you, you can prepare yourself to receive him by tending the garden of your heart. So this spring in our backyard, we had this patch of dirt it was right next to our ivy bed and it, it just would not grow grass. So I, I kept throwing grass seed down and I kept watering it, but nothing would come up. And then Jenna, my wife, took a closer look at the ivy bed and discovered that it was actually something called gout weed. Now, if you don't know what gout weed is, just do a, a Google search for it. And the first article that'll pop up will be titled, Resilience, Thy Name is Gout Weed. It's this awful weed that is basically impervious to every spray on the market. You basically have to go in with a shovel and dig down to each individual root and pull it out. So that's what Jana and my 17-year-old Joe spent the next few weeks doing. And then as they were finishing that process, my 11-year-old Drew noticed how dry the ground looked. So he said, Dad, why don't we put some fresh soil on top before we try to plant grass seed again. And wouldn't you know it, 
after we weeded and we fed it with soil, grass grew. You tend the garden of your heart because you have the choice of what grows there and what needs to be pulled out. And you need to do some weeding and you need to do some feeding. So we start with weeding. When we, when we see the, the, the weed of fear or anxiety start to surface, we get the shovel out and we dig down to the root and we pull it out. Weeding looks like prayer. It looks like repentance. It looks like opening yourself to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his word and with trusted friends and spiritual moms and dads. Weeding can be painful but it's an incredible opportunity to prepare the soil of your heart for more of what the Lord wants to give you. We also need to practice consistent feeding. So what nutrients are you putting into the soil of your heart? The Lord feeds us by his word in the life of prayer. He feeds us with his body at the table and through his body, the church. So just do a quick summary of your diet. How many hours of, of your week do you spend feeding yourself from these sources? And how many hours of your week are you fed by other sources? News media, movies, books, video games, YouTube, social media. Do you need to make an adjustment to the balance of your diet? For some of you, these last three months have really been a time of suffering the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or perhaps just profound loneliness or family strife. For others, there may be a predominant feeling of shame or disappointment in yourself. Nothing dramatic happened to you per se, but the loss of routine and community or everything going on in our nation has sent you back down the road of pain anxiety, or even sinful habits you thought you had long since overcome. If you feel like the tending of the garden of your heart has been neglected, you're not alone. And we would love to pray for you and to help you establish or reestablish simple practices that will help you tend the garden of your heart. So you can just reach out to any of our pastors because we would love to serve you in that way. Because the Lord, the true and living God, the everlasting King, in his abundant mercy and love, is pursuing us and calling us to himself. So let us prepare our hearts to answer his call. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.